With their new Epic Speed Driver, Callaway is framing the future of speed. Using a jailbreak speed frame structure that connects the sole and crown, they've reduced the head's twisting and deformation at impact. This means more energy stays in the driver face and transfers to the ball. More energy to the ball means more ball speed. Who doesn't want more ball speed? Jailbreak speed frame is in the forgiving Epic Max, the Epic Speed, and the tour-preferred Epic Max LS. Explore Epic Drivers at CallawayGolf.ca. As a horrible second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic ravages India, there's been pressure on the Trudeau government to enact travel measures to prevent further spread of variants in Canada. In response to that pressure, the government announced a ban on direct flights from India and Pakistan for 30 days, but did it come too late to make a difference? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Toronto Sun reporter Brian Passifume joins me to discuss what the ban covers, why it's important to keep an eye on COVID hotspots, and whether there are any gaps in the government's plan. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Brian, you have for some time been following and tracking flights carrying COVID-19 passengers into Canada. What made you decide to want to start doing that digging? Well, I started back in October, near the end of last year. I noticed that uh, Health Canada had a website where they posted a uh, list of all the flights that had, uh, you know, at least one passenger infected with COVID-19 that landed in Canada, both international and domestic. Mm -hmm. And it it, kind of got me thinking because it quantified the scope of the pandemic because, you know, COVID-19 first came to Canada on a plane. All the variants came to Canada on planes. Yeah. So it really kind of made me see the scope of the issue. Now, a lot of people, the, you know, the politicians and their apologists will say that, uh, you know, the airport spread is very low number. It only counts for something like one or two percent of, uh, you know, the spread compared to what's in the community. But I, th- I think that's a really disingenuous thing to say because, like I mentioned, that, you know, the virus came to Canada in an airplane. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really important aspect of this pandemic that I, I think for, for a lot of different reasons is being overlooked. In the several months, you know, at least more than six months you've been following this, how many flights do you suppose have landed at Canadian airports with COVID positive passengers? Hundreds. It really is hard to say what they, they only post two weeks worth of data on their website, mm-hmm. ostensibly, I guess, because of, you know, if you, if you flew and you were on a, a two week quarantine, I guess you'd only care about, uh, you know, flights over the past two weeks. Beginning at the end of last month, I began to compile the data, copying and pasting it into Excel, into a spreadsheet. And it's just sort of using that to kind of get a better example. So the, the month of April so far is, is the kind of the best snapshot of what, uh, sort of what the scope of the issue is. And one of the things that really kind of started to stick out for ever since I've been doing it, flights from India, specifically Delhi, which is the only city that has a direct flight from India to Canada. Air Canada and Air India flies from Delhi to both Toronto and Vancouver. Never a big issue. Never maybe one or two flights a month or so had a, you know, a few passengers on it. Um, around the end of February, beginning of March, that changed. I started to see a, a spike two flights, three flights, 10 flights, 12 flights. And it really, it, it, it was enough of a anomaly to really make me sort of question what exactly was happening here. Because, you know, there's always been, you know, a few spikes here and there from different places, uh, you know, from Europe, there was a bit of a spike from South America. And obviously before Transport Canada banned the flights from the, the Sun vacation destinations, there was a spike there. But this India spike really kind of stuck out. And 
the numbers I've been able to collect so far in April, today is April 27th that we're speaking, um, there's been 57 flights just this month alone from from Delhi to to either Vancouver or Toronto with at least one passenger you know, who tested positive. Health Canada doesn't provide how many people on each flight that were infected. It gives a range of role numbers, I guess, as a way to obfuscate the, uh, you know, the identities of whomever was uh, infected. But just by judging by the role numbers, we're talking dozens of people per flight that were infected. You mentioned Vancouver and Toronto as kind of being these hotspots. And this is all going on as we're seeing caseloads in India climb exponentially. And right now, India is in the midst of a tragic second wave and hospitals in in Delhi, especially, are, are overrun with people and they're running out of oxygen. And it's just getting to a bad place. And so we see this increase in flights coming in with people with COVID-19. You start wondering, well, are the feds going to do anything like they did with the hot spots, the sun vacation spots that they did kind of just after the holidays? What are you starting to hear from federal officials? Like, are you asking them like, okay, well, you shut these flights down earlier because of an uptick in, in cases and uptick in flights coming in. Are you going to shut down flights from these locations that are seeing really kind of serious increases in case numbers? You know, for a long time, the, the narrative coming out of the government was the same, it came, whether it was, uh, you know, Patty Hyde, the health minister, whether it was, you know, right from the prime minister himself was that, you know, Canada has some of the world's strongest border measures, cases from flights are, you know, represent such a small number compared to community spread. That was the narrative that was coming out of officials for the longest time whenever anybody would question about this. And Canada's always been kind of weird about, you know, flight bans. They, if you remember last year at the beginning of the pandemic, they were, you know, even when the World Health Organization was suggesting maybe, you know, should consider these things, um, you know, our public health officials were kind of like, no. And they were almost implying that it was racist to suggest that maybe we should start limiting who comes into this country based on hotspots. And it, it seems that narrative is, is it's been a little bit hard to shake. And it was late last week, almost grudgingly, they decided to shut down flights from from India and Pakistan, which to be honest, I've been covering the story for six months. I've been looking at the data for six months. The fact that they banned Pakistan really kind of made me scratch my head because Pakistan has never been a huge source. Like for so far, you know, this month has only been five flights from 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 Pakistan that have had COVID infected passengers. Mm-hmm. Whereas you've got places from like Paris has had 15 so far this month. Istanbul's had 15. The United Arab Emirates has had 24. The USA has had 31. You know, Pakistan's really on the low end of the list. So it, it really is curious, and no one's been able to give me a really good answer as to why they decided to ban flights from Pakistan as well as India. Because, you know, the, the relations between Pakistan and India aren't as, you know, it's not like people from India can fly over to Lahore or Karachi and fly anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't even think that Pakistan grants visas to Indian citizens. So it's a very weird policy, and it's very concerning because it really doesn't address the issue here. This ban covers direct flights coming out of India and Pakistan for 30 days, correct? But it doesn't impact flights that are coming through other cities indirectly into Canada. And that's right. And that's that's the issue as well, because even before this happened, a lot of the connecting flights into Canada from some of the most you know well-used hubs, including Frankfurt, the United Arab Emirates, even some of the destinations in the U.S. had a lot of Indian passengers. Some of the sources that I contact are, are pilots and, and flight crew within Air Canada, and they've sent me flight manifests. And for example, there was an Air Canada flight from Doha, Qatar to Toronto, and 
very nearly half to over half of the passengers on those flights began their journeys at Indian airports. So it really is putting your finger in the dam, but ignoring all the water that's rushing around your feet. I've seen criticism of the entire idea of focusing on travel is, as some feel it takes blame away from premiers who aren't doing enough at home to prevent spread of cases in the community. But why is it important to kind of look at this one piece of the pandemic? The biggest reason is, you know, why India is having the second wave right now. India is going through a devastating second wave, as you mentioned before. There's, you know, well over 300, 400,000 new cases per day, dozens of people dying, running out of oxygen, running out of supplies. It's, it's, it's a nightmare what's happening there right now. And a lot of that's being spread by variants, including uh, the B1617 variant responsible for the huge surge of cases. And this B1617 variant is, they call it the double mutant variant because what it does is it combines Two mutations seen in two separate variants. This is the first time they've ever seen these two variations in one variant. Mm -hmm. And both of these mutations are, you know, they, they make it resistant to antibodies. It's a lot more transmissible, a lot more dangerous virus. And just like the original case of COVID-19, these variants come into the country via air flights. Canada took action, if you can call it that, you know, late last year, early this year, when they blocked flights coming in from the UK, when the UK variant became prevalent, it didn't stop it. The UK variant was responsible for a devastating outbreak at a nursing home north of Toronto. So from my opinion, and from a lot of people I talked to, from experts, laymen, and even people who work in the in, in the airline industry, it, it's good policy to be proactive when it comes to things like variants, because just saying it's going to be inevitably here and not really bothering to do anything about it, it's bad policy. And that's why we ended up with the situation that we're in right now. You mentioned the UK variant, and we did stop flights from the UK when the variant there was getting out of control. But at that point, I believe it was already in the country. And now with the B1617 variant, now that the horse is out of the barn, do these travel bans do anything? At this point, no, because bad policy begets bad policy where, you know, if you weren't willing to take the strong measures at the beginning, there's no point really doing anything now. But at the same time, is it really good policy to do nothing? Is it really good policy to say that the B617 is going to be the end all? There's now a triple variant called the B618 variant, which was uh, identified in Bengal recently. And that's spreading as well through India. And it's probably going to be a matter of time before it ends up here. So you got to look forward to you know how this is going to play out. You know, Viruses mutate, viruses go through this evolution constantly. You know, just look at the flu seasons every year. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be a definitely a better way of doing things than how we're doing them right now, because they really don't seem to be doing much. One of the things you mentioned earlier is the government keeps saying like, well, in Canada, we have these very stringent screening and quarantine measures to ensure that COVID cases that are brought back aren't spread in the community. But Obviously, because we have these variants in the community, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? No, it doesn't. And the narrative that uh, Canada's got some of the strongest you know, measures in the world, that, that really doesn't hold up when you look to see how other places in the world do it. Like Korea, for example, has a, a very, very stringent process where it takes days to even just leave the airport. If we're even allowed into the country, you know, they've, they've really closed down their borders since the pandemic began. Mm -hmm. It's a long process to go through the, the testing, the paperwork and processing before you were even sent to the government mandated quarantine site for two weeks. Same thing in the Philippines. There's a very, very stringent protocol you go through when you land at the airport. And then you have a two week hotel stay that you have to pay for that you go through before you get out. Here in Canada, we have it's almost an honor system. You come down, you get a test once you land, and then you're off to, you know, an airport hotel for three days. 
And the whole three day quarantine thing has been widely and, and rightfully mocked because it, it's kind of a very kind of limp way of dealing with this. It really serves no purpose. It's of real no deterrent to anybody because you're pretty much given a choice between going on the quarantine bus or taking a taxi home. And a lot of people are just taking the taxi home. And if they get caught, the penalties are, are no more expensive than the stay in the hotel that you avoided. So. Quite a few people are foregoing it because it's a pandemic measure that's far too easy to disregard. I mean, I've seen the government criticized for their detention centers or their quarantine prisons or or what other people are calling them. But but compared to other places in the world, we haven't been doing as much to ensure that people who land here aren't spreading COVID in the community. No, it's a, it's a policy of half measures. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, right at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, especially here in Ontario, they were very strong. Everything got shut down. My wife works for a daycare. Daycares were shut down. Everything was shut down. And I don't think anybody really has the political will to do that anymore. I don't think anybody has the political metal to really do what needs to be done. And when they do take strong measures, like what happened in Ontario a few weeks ago here, it's too much. Things like closing down playgrounds, closing down soccer fields. You know, mm-hmm. the Ontario government was widely mocked for that. And, you know, quite frankly, they deserved it because it's going after a fly with an atomic bomb, really. There's strong measures need to be taken, but there needs to be strategic measures that do the right things and not uh, just being strong for the sake of being strong. And I think that's what a lot of governments here are getting wrong. They're, they're, they're too willing to placate to, you know, whatever bad advice they're getting without actually sitting down and, you know, putting some common sense towards it. So earlier you talked about Toronto and Vancouver, they were seeing the flights coming in from Delhi. They were the recipients of the direct flights, but looking at the issue as a whole, are they the two cities that were seeing the largest volume of COVID positive flights? International flights? Yeah. So far this month in April, Toronto's seen 118 flights. Vancouver's seeing 32, but actually Montreal's seeing a bit more with 43. Mm-hmm. Toronto's just getting the, you know, just because of quantities of scale, you know, Pearson is the busiest airport in Canada and one of the busiest in North America. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing the most than uh, Trudeau Airport in Montreal seeing 43. Vancouver sees a lot of flights as well. They also get a lot of flights from a lot of the Asian hotspots, but um, really it's all a matter of volume. You know, Toronto just you know, gets the most flights, so they get the most cases. And, you know, Toronto sees the widest variety of international destinations as well. Ever since the last rules, uh, the rule change is only four airports in Canada, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary that are even allowed to accept international flights. So we're seeing a good spread, uh, but uh, Toronto, just for sake of scale, is seeing the most flights coming in. Other than the concern about flights coming in from India, are there other countries where we're seeing big numbers of COVID positive flights, either from South America, Europe, other places in Asia? Yeah, you know, putting the United States aside for a second, and um, you know, we're seeing a lot of flights from them just because of the sheer amount of flights that still come in, even though airports have cut their their schedules. A lot of you know, vast majority of international flights are from the U.S. Mm-hmm. United Arab Emirates so far this month has gotten twenty four flights, and just by looking at flight manifests. A good chunk of those passengers are connecting from hotspots like India. The same with Turkey. Turkey's another hub. Turkey's another big source. Um, Europe, for example, Paris is seeing 15 this month. Frankfurt seeing 11. Amsterdam is seeing 10. It's just for sake of concentration, Europe seeing a lot of cases, both domestically and people passing through. And I think that the indirect flights, the, the, the transient passengers through airports, it's a really, really hard dynamic to nail down because, you know, just because you're seeing all these flights coming in from places like, you know, Doha or, or Dubai or, or Istanbul doesn't necessarily mean these passengers are coming from those countries. They're just the nature of our air travel, you know, the hub and spoke system mm. is that it just happens to be their, you know, 
the spot where they were before their final destination, which was Canada. The ban on flights from India and Pakistan is for 30 days. Do you get the sense that the government could extend that if there are still concerns about this ongoing second wave in India? Who knows? <laughs> it's, 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 so hard to, it's so hard to tell what they're going to do next. Like here in Ontario, for example, they've gone through and they've scrapped three separate reopening frameworks. Mm-hmm. The federal government has been a very milquetoast way of dealing with, um, with the flights with the, with the two week ban on, you know, the UK flights, which basically did nothing to shut down the uh, UK variant coming in. The ban of the sun destinations, which uh, almost seemed like it was just a way of uh, doing damage control after so many politicians were caught going south for the winter vacation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, another one of the measures that I, I didn't talk about was that uh, Canada now requires for passengers coming from India through destinations, they now require a PCR COVID-19 test from the last port of entry before entering Canada, which is almost an essentially a ban on travelers from India, because I was speaking to a gentleman who's a, uh, a student here at a university and, you know, he's had to cancel his flights. He's due to come in this week, um, you know, from Mumbai through Doha to Toronto. But the new rule says that he needs to have a PCR test from Doha before he comes to Toronto. Well, he was telling me he's got a three hour layover between Mumbai and Doha and Toronto. So, you know, three hours isn't enough to get a test in, a, you know, in the, uh, the arrival round of Doha's airport, mm-hmm. much less get the results. So, you know, it's um, he's had to cancel his plans. And I'm sure a lot of people are doing that as well. And it's almost like a sort of like an end run around ban on people coming from India, because unless you've got like a two day layover, how is anybody supposed to get a PCR test done and results like those, those, you know, those are lab based tests and they take a while for the results to come back. So yeah, it's just another example of inconsistent policy that really needs to have a little bit of dose of common sense mixed in to make it at least somewhat resembled making sense. You know, it's something we'll be keeping an eye on. It's uh, troubling what's going on in some of these COVID hotspots where we're seeing case numbers rise. And I know the governments here, they say they want to keep the variants at bay. But as you say, we want to have common sense policy that deals with some of these things. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Brian Passifume. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>